Oh, copy of God's Words, page 389. Kids, you don't want to leave. We get to read 70 verses of weird names, and you get to praise God for how your mom and dad did not name you Gazam. Actually, I was thinking about renaming one of my kids Gazam. Wouldn't that be cool? Look at verse 48. The sons of Gazam. It's like, Gazam, come here, Gazam. There he went, Gazam. When your kids are bad, look over here at verse 61, Barzillai. It kind of sounds like Godzilla, you know. It's like, have mercy. So they didn't even, like, think about staying, did they? <laughs> they were like, we're gone. I like my name. Okay. Many of you know that I went to Liberty University and I uh, was able to graduate uh, from there. I called my dad this morning or this week and said, hey, got any pictures of me graduating? He goes, you graduated? Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's good. Um, and so uh, I graduated from Liberty. I was able to go back just this uh, December after 11 years of not being there. Wow, that campus has transformed. It's exploded. I was there when all of the different schools, School of Religion, School of Nursing, School of Education, you name it, we were all in one building. They had graduation. Everybody was there. So you go. Some kids are really cool. They put little, you know, signs on their hats, like this hat costs $80,000, you know, uh, hi, mom, you know, stuff like that, or a fish symbol or a cross. You know, they, they, they have that to identify them. I wasn't one of those cool kids. I just had the black robe, walked in, and I found my seat on the floor, letter O. We just so happened to be kind of where Sam Allen is sitting or Eric Sinai. We were back row that side. And I sit down, and I realize, whoa. These are a lot of people. Do I really need to hear my name being read? Oh, this is going to be a long day. I don't know. I think there's like 2,000 people. I don't know most of them. My parents even want to hear my name being read. You know, and so I'm sitting there and wondering why I decided to walk. And that's when I got the bright idea. I never did anything cool in college, but here is the one cool thing I did. Yep. I called Little Caesars and ordered a pizza. <laughs> so we're here in this stadium. Think TD Bank North Garden. And there's like, you know, numbers like 381 section, 382 section, 383 section. And I, I was in the back row where Eric Seinhauser is sitting on the corner. I ordered a pizza with my friend's cell phone. Remember, I, I didn't get one until I was 35. And so uh, I, 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 I grabbed his phone. We ordered a pizza. I said, yeah, yeah, we are in the middle of graduation names being read. Can you deliver a pizza? I said, we will tip you great. I got the whole back row. Guy's like, sure. I'm like, 389. Middle of graduation. Here comes this guy down the <laughs> stairs with this pizza. And we have a pizza party in the back in the O section. We're like, oh. All right, you know, it was, it was amazing, all right? Now, that's the only way that you can pretty much get through somebody reading 5,000 names. This morning, you might be tempted to order a pizza if you're in the back row because we got 70 verses and several hundred names. What in the world are we going to do with this chapter? And here's the irony. This chapter is also the chapter of Nehemiah chapter 7. It's in the Bible Twice. So, 
How do you approach God's word when it's a bunch of names? Well, the main question you want to ask, whether you're reading any part of scripture, is what does this passage teach me about God? That's, that's the first question you want to ask. And at first glance, you look at 70 verses of names that you have no idea who they are or how to pronounce them, and you say, well, I guess the takeaway is God loves lists because he keeps a lot of them. That's where I started in my Bible study. God loves lists, book of numbers, revelation, there's lists. But if we zoom in, this list is a proof of God's faithfulness to his people Israel. It is a testimony of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel and to the land. So if you think about your Bible, Genesis 12, Abraham is promised to be a great nation, people, and that they're going to have this land, the promised land. And so we're going to see our very first point this morning is, because God is in the details, God keeps his covenant. Let's say it together. Because God is in the details, God keeps his covenant. And the first covenant he keeps is to his people. Okay, his people, remember that God told Moses in Deuteronomy 7, 6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's who the Israelites were. They were a special people, not because of anything they did. That's what verse 9 of Deuteronomy 7 says. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God is just keeping his promise to these people because God is being God. And I believe that's the foundation for all we have Ezra 2 and Nehemiah 7 in our Bibles, that God is keeping his covenant faithfulness to his people. Look with me at verse 2. We'll do 1 and 2. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Yeshua, Nehemiah, Zeraiah, Reeliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Ba'an. That's my best. <laughs> Practice all week. All right. Now, if you were to count those, you would see that there's 11 of them. You're like, huh, 11. Is that really a big number in scripture? No, but what's next? 12. Guess what? Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 7, has the 12th man. I don't know how it got missed, but there's 12 in the book of Nehemiah. Others have argued that it is um, Shezbazar who is bringing them back from Ezra chapter 1, verse 11. So you have 12 guys. All of a sudden now as biblical scholars, what's going off in your head? Some sirens, some dings. 12 tribes of Israel, here are these 12 people representing Israel coming out of exile, and God is keeping his covenant promise to his people. But God also is going to keep his covenant promise about the land. Go with me to verse 23. It's a little tiny gem. It took a long time to find anything kind of in this passage, but verse 23 is probably one of these hidden gems that you can mine and find some awesome truth in. The men of Anathoth, 128. Service over. Ah. 
why don't people have that verse at John 3.16 in the end zone? You know, I mean, why not that one? Well, how is God keeping his promise to the land there? Why is Anathoth important? It goes from mentioning names to mentioning places. And you have to remember some of your Bible history to understand why Anathoth is important. If you go with me to Jeremiah 32. So you're going to go to the, to the right. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32. And this is written by the prophet Jeremiah when there is a siege in Jerusalem. The town is about ready to be destroyed. They're about ready to go to the Babylonian captivity. So let's look at verse 2. Jeremiah 32, 2. At the time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. So this is right before Israel's about ready to be destroyed and shipped off. Go down with me to verses 28 and 30. 28 through 30. This is what God says to Jeremiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. So you're going to lose. 29, the Chaldeans who are fighting against the city shall come up and set the city on fire and burn it. With the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. Israel was worshiping false god. We learned that last week. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. So they are getting this judgment because of their sin. But now go back to verse 7 and see what God is going to tell Jeremiah to do. Jeremiah 32, 7. If you haven't been following along, this is the time to do so. Behold, Ha-Naamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Okay, worst real estate deal ever. The city's besieged. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be sent on by fire. And God says, that's all going to happen. But before that happens, there's an uncle. He's going to come to you, and he's going to want to sell you his field. Prudent Americans, worst real estate deal ever. Look at verse 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, that's the God of armies, that's what host means. Same thing we sung about, Lord Sabaoth, his name, the Lord of armies, the God of Israel. Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. Hey, teenagers, make a time capsule with your friends. Okay, take this title deed, make a time capsule, dig it in the ground, come back in 30 years, 70 years, and see who's where. That's what God wants them to do. Now I'll go down to verse 23. And they entered and they took possession of it, but they did not obey the voice of, uh, or walk in your law. They did nothing to all you have commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Okay, so God is, I'm sorry, that was the wrong 23. Uh, Jeremiah took the, the land, he bought it, he put it in an earthen vessel, the title deed, he stuck it in there, and now we go back to Ezra Chapter 2, verse 23. And it says, the men of Anathoth, 128. Guess what happens? 
they get to return to where? The land. So here Jeremiah is following God's word. He buys the land, and then 70 years later, they're able to go back there. 128 men have survived, have been preserved by God's word to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy that land will be bought and sold again in Anathoth one day. This judgment is temporary. How does this apply to your Christian life? I think it's an awesome application of your Christian life. Here's the take-home point. It takes humility to obey God's word. Right? I mean, it takes humility to do things God's way. You come here this morning and you say, it takes humility to admit, if you're not a Christian this morning, or if you're a Christian, you're stuck in sin, it takes humility to say, the way I've been living my life is wrong. It takes humility for Jeremiah to follow the word of the Lord when everyone else would have laughed at him, taking him at his word, doing what is right, and letting God do the rest. God's work, done God's way, will never lack God's supply. God's work, done God's way, will never lack God's supply. Hudson Taylor wrote that, missionary to China. So God's been covenant faithful to his people. He's covenant faithful to the land. And because God is in the details and he keeps his promises, it requires a response from us. Here's your response this morning. Trust and obey. Take God at his word. It takes humility. God, you don't want me to do what? That doesn't make any sense. Take him at his word. The world will laugh at you. The world will think it's not right. Take God at his word. Trust and obey. And it takes humility to do that. It takes humility to trust a crucified Savior. Number two, because God is in the details, God builds with continuity. Because God is in the details, God builds with continuity. The continuity can be seen in the whole chapter. Great care has been taken to make sure that people can trace their ancestry. Jews could trace their ancestry back, way back. I can't even tell you who my great-great-grandfather is. I don't know anything about him. I don't even know his name. I, I, I don't have that kind of family ancestry tree unless you've gone on ancestry.com or whatever it is. Some people are really into that. But, but I, I don't know, but the Jews had to trace their lineage to prove that they had a right to come back, to prove they had the land. And here God is showing some continuity with the people before are still apart and so far the same tribe, same lineage as the people that are coming into it. So what else do we learn in this continuity? This list is kind of pitiful. Look with me at verse 64. Verse 64, the whole assembly together was, well, we're just going to round it up to 50,000. 42,360. You put all those numbers together there at the end with the female servants and the male servants and all that type of stuff, you get about 50,000 people. That's pitiful compared to the 3 million people that came out of Egypt in the first exodus. Right? Not only is it a remnant of a remnant, but guess what? The much promised land that they have is just the province of Jerusalem. The province land, the, the, the promised land was supposed to be huge, and now they come back, and it's a remnant of a remnant, but it's a piece of the land of a piece of the land. It's like a quarter of an acre of a lot. They're just in Jerusalem, and God promised them so more. Not only that, Israel is not even a sovereign nation right now when they're returning. Go back to Ezra 1.1. Do you remember this from last week? I skipped it intentionally to save it for today. 
to have something to talk about with all these names, all right? But Ezra 1.1, notice how it says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Is that how Israel's history throughout the book of Kings and Chronicles starts? Is that how they give you timelines throughout the biblical narrative? In the first year of Cyrus, king of, who is it? King of what? A foreign nation. If you go back and you read Kings and Chronicles, it says the first year of King David, the first year of King Solomon, the the third year of King Rehoboam. How do they date things? With their own kings, Israel's kings. Now they're coming back, and Ezra says, I don't have a king I can date this to. We're still under bondage. I have to say it's in the first year of King Cyrus. So you have these people, they're coming back, but they're only rebuilding Jerusalem. You have these people coming back to rebuild the temple, but it's not as big as Solomon's. You have these people coming back, but there's no king. They won't be a king from the line of David until Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Right? You see how it's kind of pitiful. But God's people and God's land can be reduced to small and insignificant numbers. And you might be chuckling to yourself this morning asking, this is how God is going to fulfill his promises? A remnant of a remnant, a little piece of land, and no king? That's how God has always built. That's how God has always worked. That's how God always displays his glory through history. God worked through the old, aged Abraham and Sarah. Too old to have kids, and they become the father of nations. God had to dwindle Gideon's army down to 300. God worked through an unwed virgin to bring Jesus the Christ. And we find in Luke chapter 2 that it's only a small crowd of Simon and Anna that are awaiting for the consolation of Israel when Christ is born. Church, it should not be a difficult jump for us to make application today. God's people can be reduced in a culture that wants to marginalize us to insignificant numbers. But God will preserve and work through us and move irresistibly to a day when a great multitude that no one can count stands before God and the Lamb. Right now, it looks small. It looks insignificant. We as a church look weak. But that's how God works in history. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who feels small and weak. You know, if you've come to the end of yourself, that's exactly where God wants to begin to use you. Why? Because every time, God wants to make his role plain and clear so that he gets the glory. The more we can say as a church that we couldn't have done that, guess who gets the glory? The more the world looks at us and says that that insignificant group did Clough Pond, That insignificant group supports 10 missionaries. That insignificant group paid off the mortgage this year. They couldn't do that. That insignificant group led people to the Lord and got born again for eternity. That insignificant group made disciples of all nations. Do they even really have enough people to do two services? 
This is the same generation that the prophet Zechariah wrote to. We're going to preach on Zechariah on February 18th. This is what Zechariah said. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. God's concept of ministry is so different than the world's concept. We want to be Gronkowski's, you know? But God loves the humble and the broken. Listen to how he talks about it in 2 Corinthians 4. If you were at All In, the Girls All In conference yesterday, you heard this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. My daughter came back yesterday with a broken cup. They told her to take this earthenware glass and smash it inside of a pillowcase. These girls really thought this through. Safety was even like on their forefront. And then they had to glue the pieces back together with gold. A gold kind of glue to show what? Guys, this brittle vessel is not the glory. It is what the vessel contains. No one looks at us and goes, oh, wow, he's got it together. That's not what you're supposed to say. I appreciate Mike's testimony. It's not that Mike has his life together. It's all the cracks and all the gold of Christ that holds him together to say, wow, there must be something in him that he contains. So the glory is of the Lord. It's not this ragtag group of a remnant of remnants that's fulfilling prophecy. It is the Lord Almighty that is fulfilling prophecy through them. And it is not this ragtag church in Loudoun that God, that is doing some amazing work. I hope that you see every page of the annual report cover to cover that we partnered with the Holy Spirit and that God did beyond what we could think. God is in the details so he can build with continuity. Our final point this morning, because God is in the details, God strengthens our commitment. Because God is in the details, God strengthens our commitment. Look at their courage. Go back to chapter two, verse one. And these are the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They, next word, returned to Jerusalem. The journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, 500 miles as a crow flies. But as all good New Englanders know, you can't get there from here. Can you guys do that better than me? I don't have a New England accent. Can, you, can anyone do Jeff real quick? Okay, that's it. So some of you are like, I'm not from New England. I don't even know if I appreciate that. That's all right. I love it. I love it. I, I wish I had an accent like that. Okay, but you can't get there from there, here, however you say it. A thousand-mile journey, four months. Four months to get back. Do you guys know that the first step is always the hardest step? Some of you, the hardest step is just getting to church, just getting out the door. Turn the car on and say, I'm going to go today. We, if you're here this morning, we praise God for you, and we know the attacks and the obstacles it took to get here and the fight just to be here. Praise God that you got here this morning. You took that step. The first step is always the hardest because you have to leave somewhere to get there. You have to get up to go out. It takes courage to leave behind what you know to go where you don't know. These people went back to Jerusalem, many of them, sight unseen. We have missionaries that went somewhere that have never left New England. They went sight unseen to Tanzania. They went sight unseen to Africa this year. They went sight unseen to China. 
Sam went sight unseen, right, to Indonesia to see your aunt? Taiwan. Is that in Indonesia? The, the area. Geography is a Sunday school class next 930, right? But many of them went out. Why did they leave what they knew for what they didn't know? Because these are the ones who said this. Listen to Psalms 137, verse 46. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joys. These were people that took courage to leave because they had a song in their heart, they had an affection in their heart that I can't forget about Jerusalem. I can't sing God's faithfulness in a foreign land. And these people had courage to let good and kindred go, as we sung this morning. They were committed to do whatever it took because God stirred them up. I look at these names, and I was thinking about all the different places in our history where there's names endlessly written. I thought about the Vietnam Wall. You know, having your name... Having your name on the Vietnam Wall, it represents people at their best. It represents people at their best. Josh Owens, you don't know if I stole while I was in Vietnam. You don't know if I had doubts and was scared. But when my name's on that wall, you know I sacrificed for my country. It represents me at my best. You know what that does? Reading these names, and if you would have known them, it stirs you up that you could be of good courage and do the same. I know we don't like plaques in our church, but there are times when annual reports come out with names and what people have done, and you read about Josh Newhook, a discipled teenager, wants to disciple others. You see that name? You say... Maybe God's going to stir me up. What young man in here wants to be a preacher? Who's being stirred up to be a leader? Because Mike Boley's name's going to be mentioned as an elder, right? Who's stirring? Is God stirring you up? Because Paula Jordan shared last week about worshiping God through her work. Maybe God wants to do something through you in your community because you heard about the Clough Pond Project. Sometimes names stir you up. So they had courage. You need courage. Take God at his words. You also need holiness. 61 through 63, real quick. Here are some names. 61 through 63. Ah, man, I'm running over. All right, so here's these names, and they're they're priests. But look at verse 62. These sought their registrations among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult the Urim and Thummim. What does that mean? They took their ancestry seriously. They took the priesthood seriously. It was a holy responsibility. If you read Malachi, there's like six woes about how they have turned the worship of God and all of its abuses. And that Israel gets a second chance, church. God has got a second chances. And the second time they say, guess what? We're not going to mess this up. If your name isn't part of the priestly lineage and you can't prove it, we're not letting anybody else be a priest. We've messed it up once before. We've corrupted the worship of God. We're not doing it this time. Maybe holy. So there's courage. There's holiness. Number three, there's service. 36 through 39, 
You have the Levites return, verse 40. You have singers, verse 42. You have gatekeepers, 43. You have temple servants, 55. You have Solomon servants. Guess what, church? They had unity, they had purpose, and now everyone had a job. Does that sound like a local church to you? There is unity, there is purpose, there is direction, and there's a list of people to fulfill the nominating committee report. Everyone had a responsibility. Serve. And then lastly, 68 through 69, they gave. They gave. Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, guess what, folks? It wasn't even built yet, but they went to the place where it was supposed to be. There wasn't even a foundation laid yet, and what did they do? They made free will offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minutes of silver, and 100 priest garments. They gave as they could. Different people gave different amounts. Some people came in on donkeys. Some people had to walk. Some people came in on camels. Some people had to walk. Church, we have a monumental work before us to make disciples of all nations. And you have to give. It's part of what it means coming together. It takes courage. It takes holiness. It takes service. But it also requires financial giving. And when we commit to the Lord's worship it means rearranging some other things, even our finances. It's part of what it has to be. So, in conclusion, can God use 70 verses of a list of names to stir our hearts to bring spiritual revival to our life? God loves lists. And even though we hate lists, and hate maybe coming to church in a day where it's 70 verses of names, let's be honest. All of us want to be on somebody's list. We might hate lists, but we all want to be on some who's who's list. Teenagers, the dean's list, the varsity team. Maybe we want to be as adults in a certain economic bracket. I remember living in Virginia. It was what zip code did you live in? I think all of New Hampshire. Well, no, that's, that's the area code. Okay, anyways. But, you know, the, there's, <laughs> there, we're from the 02450 district. Oh, that's Diamond Hill, we called it in Lynchburg. I'm in hills where the doctors live. I want to, I want to live there. Who's, whose list do you want to be on? The Jews eventually took pride in their names being on a list. But by the time of the New Testament, they thought that being born a Jew was what made you right with God. Just the fact that they were born a Jew, just the fact that their name was proven, they thought that they were right with God. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene in Luke 3, 8, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. What's John the Baptist's message? Stop taking pride in your ancestry name. I have a friend whose last name is Kennedy. He always introduces himself, not as Patrick, but as, hi, I'm Patrick Kennedy proud where he's from. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, it's not that you were born a Jew, it's that you must be born again. Here is Nicodemus, a teacher of the law. Jesus is expecting him to know what born again means. And Jesus' point is this, like produces like. Cats produce cats, bats produce bats, cockroaches produce cockroaches. 
you who are human, inherently selfish and self-centered, in rebellion against God, how are you going to have a relationship with God? And you're not like him. You don't have the same DNA, the same protoplasm. Here's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion says work your way to God. But no matter how hard you work, if you're a barren woman, you're not going to have children. No matter how hard we work in our spiritual life, we can't make ourselves and turn ourselves into God. We need to be what? Born again. It's a work of God. So the way you get on this list is by the blood of the Lamb. And it takes humility to say, I don't have what it takes to be on this list. I've tried to write myself off this list. God, if you're here today and you're not sure if you're on that list, and God has some pretty good bouncers in heaven, 12 gates, 12 angels, and Jesus. No one's slipping in. There's only one way, Jesus the Christ. Would you ask him, Lord, would you make me born again today through the blood of Jesus Christ? For churchgoers this morning, you know that I have a burden for those that are raised in church. Peter tells you, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. You think you're all set here. Mike thought he was all set. Hear this, where there is genuine new birth, you will always see new results. That's why John, or that's why Jesus says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Do you see the wind? No. But what do you see? The effects of the wind. Do we know all of what it takes to get born again and how it works? Do I know how, how you got here this morning to hear God's word? No. But if you are born again, guess what I'm going to see? The effects of the Spirit in your life. We don't know how it happens, but we'll see transformation. You will live a changed life. Have you trust? Have you trusted? Have you obeyed God to take courage, to live holy, to serve, and to give to the local church? Those are lessons we can learn from Ezra chapter 2. Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for that all scripture is inspired. And this week, that verse helped me. It gave me faith and courage to, to dive into an intimidating passage. I pray that we would see your faithfulness, that you're in the details from cover to cover. You're in the details of who is here this morning, and you're in the details of how you're working them up to stir them, either on to uh, discipleship, or Lord, you're stirring in people's heart to bring them to be born again. We pray that we'd have the humility to take you at your word, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that you desire that all men be saved through you. We give you the praise and the glory that you can work through these brittle vessels that are insignificant, not because of who we are, but because of what we contain. We pray that you would unleash your spirit in this church and that we would see your hand providentially moving our church along in the power of the spirit according to your word and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Sunday school starts.